0: so glad you could join us for the mornings at YCBC today. We want to thank you for being a part of our online family and we hope that this message encourages you, blesses you and helps you grow in your walk with him. So let's get into the word. Okay, so who's excited for Christmas? <laughs> I've been thinking a lot about gifts lately, what gifts to buy my family and also about the gifts in the Christmas story. So that's my message this morning is about those gifts. Other gifts I've been thinking about are the ones that Leslie will be selling up the back. She was selling them last week. She's here again. Um, these aren't gifts for you to keep for yourself, but they're a gift for you to give someone else. Now, fundings for a lot of countries that are doing it, that normally do it tough have been cut this year and last year with COVID, and they've also lost huge numbers of people. So, this year, more than ever, people need these gifts. Now, Baptist World Aid is an amazing charity and they'll make sure that your money gets to the people that it says it's going to. Now, I'm not suggesting that anyone try this, but a few years ago, Neil took great delight in buying one of these cards for his mother with a goat on it and inside he wrote, A goat for an old goat. (laughs) Now, I'm not suggesting that any of you do that, but... This gift became possibly one of the most remembered and talked about Christmas gifts that our family has ever given. So please go and see Leslie and purchase something. She can do cash or credit card. Now speaking of different gifts, one of the things prophesied about Jesus in Psalm 68 says that kings would bring him gifts hundreds of years before it actually happened. Um, And we know that the wise men or the Magi came from the East to bring Jesus those gifts. Now Nick spoke last week about Emmanuel and how that means God with us. But this week I'd like to look at those gifts surrounding Christmas. I want to apologise for having my geek on a bit this morning, but diving into the symbolism and meaning of those Christmas gifts was kind of awesome over this last week or so. But through it all, I was given a challenge for us to think about. Christmas often revolves around gifts. But if God is with us, like Nick spoke about last week, if God is with us, what gift will we bring? That's our challenge. But let's pray before I begin this morning. Lord, I want to thank you for being Emmanuel, God with us. Not God at a distance or God who comes occasionally, but God with us. We remember those verses in Matthew 28 when you said that you are with us always to the very end of the age. Lord, as we gather to listen to your message for us today, I pray that we will remember forever that precious gift you gave us on that first Christmas, just for us, so that we can have a relationship with you. Amen. Now, thinking about baby Jesus and newborn babies and gifts, I don't know what gifts you think of when you're shopping for a newborn baby but the other day an ad popped up on my Facebook feed and it was for a book and it's called Computer Engineering for Babies. The book claims to introduce the fundamentals of digital logic to your child so they can start learning the basics of computer engineering at an early age. It has two buttons and an LED and explores basic computer logic gates. Now, I know I'm getting old, as my children remind me, and I also know that digital stuff eludes me, which amuses my children, but I don't think I would ever see this book as something that I would buy for a newborn baby. I know I'm a pragmatic person, but I really think that like a blanket, nappies and wipes would have been a little bit more practical. Instead of all those things, though, after the birth of Jesus, when he was about two, the wise men came to visit, and they bought gold, frankincense and myrrh. The wise men popped in to see Herod on the way there as he was the current king of the land of Israel and they thought if this incredibly important baby had been born that was going to become the king of the Jews that the current king of the Jews would know about it. So Herod got pretty angry about it and thinking he was about to lose his throne So he tells the wise men to find this king-to-be and to please let him know so he could go and worship him himself. He does this to trick the wise men and Herod's plan was to kill this future king. With the timing of all this, most of us um, have or are used to seeing nativity scenes like the one that's probably just off screen if you're at home. Um, And it's got the wise men in it right alongside the angels and the shepherds. Now, they were all part of Jesus' infancy, just not all at the same time. And we know Jesus was probably about two at this stage because in Matthew 2.16, when Herod realises the wise men have done a runner and aren't coming back, he kills all the boys two and under to make sure that Jesus was one of those ones killed. But fortunately, as we know, an angel had warned Joseph and Mary and Jesus, and they were able to flee to Egypt. But back to the gifts that I mentioned in Matthew 2, verse 11. Like the Computer Engineering for Babies book, this, these gifts seem pretty impractical to me. I saw another post on Facebook a while ago that said if it had been wise women that had come, they would have asked for directions, arrived on time, brought practical gifts helped deliver the baby, cleaned the stable and made a casserole. (laughs) And that's more what I think about for gifts for a newborn baby. But God, who knows better than I do, chose instead for three seemingly impractical gifts to be given by the wise men, gold, frankincense and myrrh. We don't know what happened to these gifts later on. Someone actually asked me that question just recently and I did a little reading and there's a few theories floating about. One is that the thieves crucified with Jesus were the ones that stole the gifts um, given by the wise men. Another says that Judas, who was the custodian of the money for the apostles, had stolen the gold and sold it and pocketed the money for himself. Another theory was that Mary and Joseph used the gifts to fund their flight to Egypt to escape Herod. But we really have no idea what, what happened to those gifts after they were given Likewise, we don't know what happened to the wise men after they headed home. Matthew 2 verse 12 says, I marked it to be quick and it's not quick, is it? (laughs) Matthew 2 verse 12. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. We don't know what happened to them after that. In fact, we don't actually even know how many of them there were to begin with. In the Eastern Christian tradition, they say there were as many as 12 wise men. In Western tradition, we often think of three because there were three gifts. But the Bible doesn't actually tell us how many. This passage in Matthew is the only record we have of the visit at all. The reason we don't know all of this is because it doesn't matter. We're so used to wanting to know the nitty gritty with reality TV and social media and they show us everything, but that's not why the Bible was written. The Bible was written to point us to God. What is recorded in the Bible is all we need to point us to God. Like the star that led the wise men to Jesus, the Bible is our only star and the only one we need to lead us to God. God orchestrated the writing and assembling of our Bibles to give us a star to follow, which will lead us to him. What happens out the side windows on the journey isn't always in the Bible, but the destination is always God. One commentary I read said that the Bible was breathed in, breathed out with the goal of being breathed in. God breathed it out through human writers so we as readers could breathe it in. I love that. As we breathe it in more and more, it leads us on in our journey. So we don't know much about these wise men, except they were well-educated men and very important men from the East. We don't know how many there they were, what they looked like, or what happened to them when they went home. What we do know is they bought three gifts, gold, frankincense and myrrh. And if the Bible recorded that detail, then it's something worth looking at. So first, let's look at gold. Gold, now as then, was expensive. Gold's currently sitting around $79,500 to $80,000 a kilo. I could be wrong, but that's what Google tells me. Gold is considered a good investment. It doesn't lose its value, unlike currencies created by governments that can go bankrupt or go into default. An ounce of gold 2,000 years ago would buy roughly the same amount of goods and services today. If you could buy something for an ounce of gold years ago, you could buy roughly the equivalent today. As the value of goods goes up, so does the value of gold. For that reason, gold is often hoarded by people and to use if there's a disaster or in case the country's currency becomes useless. The first mention of the Bible is in Genesis 2.11 where it describes the river flowing out of the Garden of Eden, feeding four rivers, one of which was the Pishon. Genesis 2.11 says the Pishon flowed through the entire land of Havilah, where there is gold, and the gold of that land was good. The Bible also mentions where to find gold in other places. The book of Revelation, at the other end of our Bibles, refers to gold about 22 times. From gold lampstands to John being clothed with a sash of gold in Revelation 1.13. The final mention of gold in the Bible though is when John describes the new Jerusalem at the end of times. And in Revelation 21.21 we're told that the great street of the city was gold, as pure as transparent glass. As a kid, we would go to my grandma's house in Sydney every Christmas and sit and watch the carols on TV on Christmas Eve. And for as long as I can remember, David Hobson has always sung the Holy City every year. And that song is about this vision of John's of the New Jerusalem. And I've always loved the imagery of this passage um, and the hymn and the words it uses. It's just incredible. And I just think what a glorious place it will be to visit one day. Of course, non-churchgoers probably wonder why we're singing about a new Jerusalem when we're meant to be singing about a newborn baby. But we sing about that new Jerusalem because of the newborn baby. Because one day, Jesus will come again and make everything new. The prophets foretold that Jesus was coming. The King was coming. The Messiah and Saviour was coming. After his birth, the wise men came bearing the gift of gold to honour him as king. As a man, he would live as we do. As God, he put himself in our place on the cross to pay for our sins, ascended into heaven and became seated at the right hand of God. When he comes again, John saw a new heaven and a new earth, with this great street of the city being gold, as pure as transparent glass, and even shinier than that street of gold will be the glory of God, where we won't need the sun or the moon to light anything because the glory of God will shine so brightly. The gates will never be shut, and all those who have asked Jesus to be their saviour will get to enter. What a marvellous thought. The second gift the wise men brought was frankincense, which symbolised Jesus as the high priest, connecting us to God, but it was also an offering to Jesus as God. Frankincense is a hard gum-like sap or resin that comes from the trunk of a particular type of tree. Frankincense oil is believed to kill types of bacteria and yeast. Today it's used in aromatherapy and as a fragrance in soaps and lotions and perfumes. According to Wikipedia, the English word frankincense derives from the old French expression incense, which means high-quality incense. The word Frank in Old French meant noble or pure. It's been traded for thousands of years through the Middle East, China and Africa. The ancient Egyptians used it as part of their mummification process. The Persians used it as medicine. With Israel being in the middle of these trade routes, it would have seen its fair share of frankincense passing through. Frankincense was expensive, probably worth just as much, if not more, than the gold that was given. It was an expensive offering. It was an expensive commodity used to honour a king or deity in the ancient world. Frankincense is first mentioned in the Bible in Exodus. The incense made from it wasn't made as something to enjoy, but rather as a holy offering to God. It was the priest's role to mix it and offer it. It would be placed in front of the Ark of the Covenant, where God would meet the priest on uh, meet, where the God would meet the priest on behalf of the people. Sorry, got tongue tied. Exodus 30, verse 34 to 38 says. Then the Lord said to Moses, "Take fragrant spices, gum resin, onicha and galbanum." And pure frankincense, all in equal amounts, and make a fragrant blend of incense, the work of a perfumer. It is to be salted and pure and sacred. Grind some of it to a powder and place it in front of the Ark of the Covenant law in the tent of meeting where I will meet with you. It shall be most holy to you. Do not make any incense with this formula for yourselves. Consider it holy to the Lord. Whoever makes incense like it to enjoy its fragrance must be cut off from their people." Fast forward to the time of Jesus. The temple's been built in Jerusalem and the Ark of the Covenant has a permanent home in the Holy of Holies in that temple and the offerings are still made by the priests. These offerings were made in worship to God and to atone for people's sins. But once a year on the Day of Atonement, special offerings were made on behalf of the people, the priests and for the whole nation. Then Jesus came to pay the price for sins once and for all. He gave himself up as a pure, holy, sinless offering to pay for our sins. As someone who made the offering, he is the high priest. And as such, he formed a bridge between us and God, while at the same time being God himself. And the Bible describes this in Hebrews. Uh, Hebrews 5, 8 to 10. Son though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered and once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him and was designated by God to be the high priest in the order of Melchizedek. Melchizedek was the king of Salem who brought bread and wine to Abram and blessed him in Genesis 14. He was king and was a high priest connected with the city of Salem. Salem meaning completeness or wholeness in the Old Testament Melchizedek was revered by Abram and given a tenth of the spoils of battle in the New Testament Jerusalem was the centre of worship on God on earth where priest and high priest would make offerings to God on behalf of the people in Hebrew it's pronounced Jerusalem, I've probably butchered that but you get the idea the J becomes a Y The first part of Jerusalem is Yeru, which can mean either they will see or they will feel the awe. The second part of Jerusalem is Salem, which, as I said, means completeness or wholeness. When you put those parts together, you get the full meaning for the name of Jerusalem. They will see or they will feel the awe of the wholeness. The word Shalom comes from the word Salem, with the idea that peace is impossible without wholeness. True shalom or peace can only come from wholeness in God. True shalom comes in the presence and wholeness of a relationship with God made possible through Jesus. The temple in Jerusalem was equivalent of the throne of God, the king, but was also meant as a temple of worship to him as God. It was meant to be an awe-inspiring thing. It was meant to be a way of connecting people with God. The priests would make sacrifices and offerings on behalf of the people, but also maintain a connection between God and all the nations and people on earth. When Jesus came, he gave us a new covenant or new promise. No longer would we need to offer at the temple or seek priests to atone for our sins. Jesus came as God on earth. He lived a pure life and offered himself as the purest incense and offering to God to step into our place and pay the price for our sins. This was God's plan all along. God knew we would not be able to maintain the old way of doing things, so just at the right time, when he planned it, he sent his son to show us a new way, a new way to reach him through the sun, a way to reach the new Jerusalem. The gift of frankincense said more than just being a gift that smelled nice. It signified so much more. It signified Jesus was priest and God. He was the purest incense, the purest offering that could be mailed. And his second coming will herald in the New Jerusalem, where true peace or shalom will be for all those who love him. The third and final gift was myrrh. Myrrh is also a sap-like substance or resin that comes out of the cuts of bark. Of of certain trees. In ancient times it was used for anointing and also for embalming. Myrrh was also expensive. Its value was similar to frankincense in that it was probably equal to or more valuable than the gift of gold. The cost of frankincense and myrrh wasn't just high because of the production but also because of all the taxes added onto it at each stage of transporting the resins to where they needed to go. Pliny the Elder wrote about all the tolls and expenses incurred as the caravans snaked their way to the destination. Between Arabia and Palestine, every camel making the 65-stage journey mounted up costs of 688 denarii even before the Romans and customs and officials got their cut. That was almost two years' wages for a skilled labourer at the time for each and every caravan camel in the caravan and they always had lots. Everything had to be guarded carefully on the journey and as a result um, it it added up onto the cost. In Alexandria and Egypt there were reports of workers who processed the frankincense for sale were daily strip searched to prevent them stealing even small amounts. Now we don't actually know how much gold, frankincense or myrrh was given to Jesus by the wise men. So we can't even guess at the value of those gifts. But we don't need to know. The giving of gold, frankincense and myrrh was symbolic, rather than meant to increase the standard of living of Jesus' family. And it's the biblical recording of the symbolism that points us to God, and that's why the story was recorded, rather than the amounts of each one. Our own gifts could follow this by not being about the dollar value but being about showing love and God's love for the person we are giving it to. One of the early mentions of myrrh in the Bible is back in Exodus 30 and verse 22 to 29 says, then the Lord said to Moses, take the following fine spices, 500 shekels of liquid myrrh half as much, that is 250 shekels of fragrant cinnamon, 250 shekels of fragrant calamus, 500 shekels of cassia, all according to the sanctuary shekel, and a hint of olive oil. Make these into a sacred anointing oil, a fragrant blend, the work of a perfumer. It will be the sacred anointing oil. Then use it to anoint the tent of meeting, the ark of the covenant law, the table and all its articles, the lampstand and its accessories, the altar of incense, the altar of burnt offering and all its utensils and the basin with its stand. You shall consecrate them so they will be most holy and whatever touches them will be holy. Myrrh was an important part of temple service. It was also an ingredient in anointing priests and kings, making them holy for the role ahead. When the candidates for the position of queen were preparing to meet the king in the book of Esther, they were bathed in myrrh for six months as part of their purification ritual. In the New Testament, myrrh makes an appearance on the day of Jesus' death. Mark 15, to 23 says, They brought Jesus to the place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. Then they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him, dividing up his clothes. They cast lots to see what each would get. Myrrh was sometimes used as an ancient painkiller and administering myrrh mixed with wine was a Jewish custom to ease the pain of someone who was dying. Jesus rejected the drink so his mind would remain clear to the end. Later that day, his body was removed from the cross, embalmed with spices, which would have included myrrh, and wrapped him in linen cloth to prepare for burial. And you can read about that in John 19. The gift of myrrh given to a baby represented his holiness and his death. If it had been any other baby, it would have been a morbid gift. But this gift of myrrh was given to the baby Jesus. Mary and Joseph knew how special this baby was. Before Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit, an angel appeared to Mary. And we can read what was foretold in Luke 1. Uh, Luke 1, 30 to 33. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, you have found favour with God. You will, receive and you will conceive and give birth to a son and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Myrrh in this case was not symbolic of a normal death. While Jesus was fully human, he was also fully God. He is the son of the most high God, the holiest of the holy. He died in physical form on the cross, but overcame death and rose again. Then he ascended into heaven and reigns forever. Myrrh was symbolic of all that. Like I said before, we don't know much about the wise men or what quantity of gifts they gave Jesus, but their symbolic value was enormous. They did that to honour Jesus as King, God and Saviour. Jesus gave us gifts too the gift of salvation and the gift of eternal life John 3:16-17 says for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him that gift of salvation was freely given You don't need to ask Jesus to die for you because he already did it. All you need to do is accept that gift and unwrap it. The second you do, you're made pure in the eyes of God, you are holy and you're washed clean of all your sin. That's all the bad stuff you've done and all the good stuff you haven't done. God will see you from that moment onwards through the lens of Jesus. You'll be perfect in his sight. You'll be holy, set apart and because of that when you leave your earthly body you'll be with God in heaven forever where I'm hoping we will see those streets paved with gold. The gift of salvation and eternal life that Jesus gave us was freely given. Whether you believe in him or not, that gift is sitting there waiting for you to accept it. Once you do accept it though, you will find that perfect peace that peace that can only come through wholeness in Jesus. It's a peace that will endure regardless of the circumstances that you find yourself in, and you will find shalom. What you can give him in return is your belief and your heart. It's as simple and as hard as that, but it's forever and ever worth it. So as we finish up this morning, my challenge for you is this. What will your gift for Jesus be this Christmas? What could you give Jesus in return this Christmas? Will you give him your heart? Will you ask him to take over your life and make it whole and new? God is Emmanuel. He's here with us just waiting for you to respond. You don't need to fully understand all of it in order to do it. We're all on a journey of discovery and learning more as we journey with him. All you have to do is believe in Jesus and ask him to take over management of your life. You are loved, you are valued, and God wants to give you peace and eternal life if you're just willing to give him free access to your heart. If you haven't opened Jesus' gift before, I'm going to pray a prayer that you can repeat to yourself this morning, either out loud or silently, and just to give Jesus that gift of your heart and If you've already accepted that gift and opened it up, then it never hurts to remember that first joy you had when you first opened the gift. So let's pray this morning. Lord, I come before you now to admit that I have sinned. I have done the wrong things and I haven't done the right things. Lord, I know you have said the punishment for my sin is death. Lord, I thank you that Jesus, your son, came to live here among us. I thank you that he put himself on that cross and paid the price for my sin. I thank you that he overcame death and rose again. Lord, I believe in in you, in Jesus, your son, and in your Holy Spirit. Right now, Father, I give you my heart. And I ask that you take over management of my life. Help me to learn more about you each day and to live in the freedom you have given me. I also thank you for the gift of hope of eternal life and for the joy and peace of being able to live forever and ever. Amen.